Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Welcome to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. In this episode, I'm joined by LUF founder Jason Bresler and LUF's human performance advisor, James McNamara. If you're tuning into this podcast for the first time, you can listen to episodes number 5 and 12 to learn more about each of them. Since this is our year in review episode, we have a lot to cover in just a short amount of time. 2021 seems to have been a long, divisive year where we endured another 12 months of a global pandemic with impeding COVID-19 mandates, witnessed America's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan as we marked the 20th anniversary of the attacks on 9-11, and continued to redefine normal. But while it was another incredibly hard year for many, there were still moments that highlight the admirable tenacity and ingenuity of people and the resilience of the human spirit worthy of celebrating. Gentlemen, welcome back to another Year in Review episode. It's so great to speak with you today, virtually. Hi, Patty. Hello, Patty. We're recording this episode at the very end of the month of December. We're recording this on December 28th, 2021. But last year, we recorded the Year in Review episode towards the beginning of December. And we were only in talks about a potential vaccine being disseminated. So I remember going into the new year with optimism. Keeping it on that note, I wanted to ask you first, what were the greatest opportunities you experienced this year? And Jim, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, I would start off with, so from a team perspective, I had the opportunity to really expand my role, given the fact that Jason and, and Dan South, Frank had to take a step back because they were studying for captain. Um, and that allowed, you know, that allowed me to take on a little more responsibility, but it was a great opportunity to, to get out and, and to be in front of more people. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And it was also illustration that the depth in this team, that when others can take a step back, we can still move forward. Uh, another opportunity I thought was great is the, the class that I normally do with Dr. Andy Morgan he'll always go first and give a PowerPoint. And usually I will, I'll, I'll push the PowerPoint aside and just talk because I talk about the ground level understanding. But when we took that program to uh, Zoom, the first time I tried that, I, I didn't feel that I gave as good a, uh, a performance, if you, if you will, as should, as the students deserved. And so we kind of built a PowerPoint that kind of just talked about everything that the group and the team has done up until this point, right? And because what has been done here can be replicated elsewhere and needs to be replicated elsewhere. So more specifically, when we talk about this, you saw that Milwaukee has taken on um, their own version of, a, of an MPI program. 
hopefully others can can take their own version and, and build and create it themselves with a, a human factor science piece. And the idea being you push the level of understanding because you're going to need contributions from so many more people. Science is incredibly slow. Even the process of bringing people up to speed is incredibly difficult. The more people contributing to this effort, right, the greater the impact we can have on the American Fire Service and the American first responder community at large. But more and more folks need to engage in that. And ultimately that, that, that program leads to a conversation of there is not a single human performance lab anywhere in the American Fire Service or in the paramedic EMT world or even law enforcement. And perhaps even sadder, it's not on the schedule of discussion for any command staff anywhere in America. And if we really want to improve this profession, or because the, the real fundamental improvement is improving the human beings, right? it's moving into the science and gaining an understanding of what's happening to us under stress. And only once we have that, we can change the, the profession. And hopefully that as we continue to, to, to pound the message, that's, that it'll resonate with others. Uh, and you are starting to see, especially the folks out West, because that they think so clearly and they're not tethered to history, that uh, that change will most likely come from them because they think so differently. And that was two of the great opportunities for me this year. Jason, do you want to answer what were your greatest opportunities this year? Uh, sure. So I, I had a couple of uh, wonderful opportunities and uh, probably more accurately, like blessings in, in 2021, both personally and professionally. First and foremost, uh, my wife and I welcomed a second baby girl into the world in March. So now I have two wonderful little, little girls. Professionally, I guess two, two of the more significant opportunities I had this year, kind of individually, one was the opportunity to return to the Marine Corps in an active capacity and largely in good standing after eight year, a eight year hi hiatus, more accurately, probably eight years in purgatory, certainly not for lack of effort or desire, but I, there were probably many occasions over the years where I didn't think I would probably would again, wear the uniform of a U.S. Marine. Um, so pretty uh, incredible to find myself back in the Marine Corps and having opportunities to uh, shape and impact uh, the Marine Corps. And then, um, you know, this summer I had the opportunity to return to special operations. So when I got promoted, I went to lower Manhattan for two years, certainly learned a lot, you know, kind of a, an aspect of the FDNY that was uh, less familiar to me, both in terms of kind of operational challenges, the types of buildings and, and many of the personalities, but, uh, you know, I enjoyed my time there. And then this summer I had the opportunity to go back to special operations command. I'm just bouncing around as a covering lieutenant. And that's been pretty great. Um, working with a lot of guys I, I know, uh, having the opportunity to go to flyers and emergencies, you know, where we're expected to make an impact, you know, particularly of, of uh, you know, multiple alarms, technical uh, type events, et cetera. Uh, so I've, I very much enjoyed that. As far as the team goes, I think that the greatest opportunity we had in 2021 was solidifying the first iteration of the Milwaukee Fire Department's human performance program. In many ways, it, it kind of replicates the MPI program that we've rolled out in, in the FDNY. We initially launched the program in early 2020, but of course, 
progress was thwarted by the pandemic. So we returned to Milwaukee this summer, drilled into the final blocks, namely block three, and have the first group there, you know, on their on their way. And uh, what a fantastic group of, of of men and women, fire officers, EMS providers, truly th- thirty really really solid performance leaders, in a department where morale is high and they're laser focused on the mission. And I will tell you they. They do a considerable amount of, of, of work, particularly uh, fire duty. So that was pretty cool seeing that kind of come to fruition this year as it relates to uh, the team. So many significant, or I should say, life looks significantly different than it did at the end of last year and even the past several years. So I was so excited to dive into our conversation today that I didn't even acknowledge the fact that we're all calling in virtually for a reason. So Jim, where do you join us from today? I'm at my uh, palatial estate here in New York City. Uh, and uh, I, I definitely object to doing uh, virtuals. We should do this uh, in person because there is a certain dynamic that exists when you're sitting in a room together. Uh, and especially when Patty starts to roll her eyes at Jason and I, some of the things that we say, that's worth its price in gold. I don't know anything you're talking about. <laughs> Jason, where are you coming from today or calling in from today? Yeah, I'm calling in from my in-laws in Missouri. I should mention though, we had initially planned to do this in person at the Gotham studio a few weeks ago because Patty ran away from New York. <laughs> doesn't and doesn't visit nearly as frequently as she should. We decided to forego the 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 plan to sit down for the year in review conversation in the podcast studio and in, instead, probably more appropriately, mm-hmm. took the conversation to a a tavern. Took the conversation to a a tavern, and we're joined by Dan and and Jake, yeah. and uh, had the opportunity to just catch up. I'm not going to edit that out. That is absolutely staying in. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to apologize for pushing back this recording because first things first, we have to practice what we preach. It was so important to get the team together and just spend time together and, and reconnect. I'm calling in from sunny Tampa, Florida. And, um, I think my greatest opportunity this year was linked to my greatest challenge which brings me to my next question that I posed to both of you. The year was really wrought with hardship. So what were the biggest challenges you found yourselves navigating? Oh, there were a number of them. Um, at work, the, the challenge of a population that is becoming more desperate where the rule of law is starting to break down, to, to watch the, the pantry lines uh, continue to grow, uh, and the disregard for you know, law and order, um, that's a, a, a real challenge for, for folks uh, across the city. But also on a personal level, the first half of the year, you know, I've had health problems for a couple of years now that I just can't seem to fix. So the first half of the year, I got the shot in February and I was physically destroyed. So I was a shell of myself, but uh, the summer came, always getting to the country is, is therapeutic. And then you come to the 20th anniversary 
which was a thousand times more difficult than I could have possibly imagined. You know, the day is, is always about them, those immortals and their families. But now there's, you know, there's a, a realization that for those of us who were on the job then, that our careers are coming to an end. You know, we're, we're on the downward slope, if you will. Uh, where 20 years went, I have absolutely no idea. You know, it was yesterday, that event, you know, that September morning will always be yesterday for anyone who's on that job. And, uh, you know, it, it's also difficult because, you know, 90% of the firefighter rank now is post 9-11. And you're losing the last generation of folks who have connection to what happened that day and to those who worked with the great ones. Um, you know, who tells the stories, who keeps you know, their memories alive. That's difficult to, to, to handle it at times, but life moves on. And, and, and so then you come to the end of the year and in New York, we, we were doing pretty well with a, a combination of vax or if you didn't get the vaccination, then a testing regimen. It was working really well. The guys who didn't want it, they could take a test. It was perfectly fine. And then out of the blue, uh, this mayor, who's thank God is leaving us, decides, no, everyone has to get the shot. And it sparked a level of anger and fury, the likes of which I have not seen in, in, in a long time. You know, guys who were normally middle of the road, even keeled, became enraged. And it set off, you know, and Jason and I were there that day, the biggest protest I've seen in my career, uh, marching across the Brooklyn Bridge. We've lost a ton of guys who, said, who decided, I'm going to retire rather than do this. We've turned off a great many um, truly motivated folks who were like, you know, how could you do this? And give, give people five days to decide what they're going to do with their lives and their careers. Uh, and it was particularly galling given that these were the men and women who didn't have the luxury to stay home, right? When, when COVID was raging and we lost like 20, 25,000 people, well, we were the guys and gals who did the compressions on them as they died. You know, these types of folks deserve better. And this level of callous indifference has had a significant impact on this job. Um, and, and I think going forward, right, this now becomes Jason's job and, and Dan's job as we move forward, especially as officers, they're going to deal with a very tainted uh, firefighter rank. Uh, and, and this is extended even to some of the officers. And this left a mark on the job. And it didn't have to be, you know, we've, we've navigated so much. Uh, and, and, and gone through so much, this was the backbreaker. And we'll see as the years to come just how significant the impacts really are. Thanks for sharing all of that, Jim. And coming from you, I think it carries a lot of weight. Jason, what were some of the biggest challenges you navigated this year? Yeah, many, many of the challenges align with uh, things that were also opportunities. I think first and foremost, you know, on a, on a personal level, Having an infant and a toddler at, at home is, is challenging. Oftentimes I, I wonder like what I do with all of my free time, free kids.
but it, yeah, in many ways, it's such, it's such a blessing to have little ones at home. Uh, but, but it also sometimes creates challenges, you know, pr professionally as you're, as you're trying to, to lead and, and serve in organizations that demand, you know, a great deal from you physically, mentally, uh, emotionally. I think as it relates to the, to the team, the biggest challenge that we probably navigated this year and, and was also a, a tremendous opportunity was delivering a, a hybrid human performance leadership program to corrections officers in the Pacific Northwest. And I will, I will tell you, I'll, I'll probably kick it here to Jimmy in a second to get his, his thoughts. I, I'm not even sure that I can probably accurately capture just how challenging that vocation is. I, I feel like our team, given the extensive experience uh, that the team has collectively, you know, some of the subject matter expertise, like we've become accustomed to working with people that work in high risk professions where the consequences are lethal. On occasion, the best in the business lose. And I feel like generally we come as beacons of, of, of hope and encouragement and enlightenment. And we usually we, we walk away like I'm generally pretty confident that we left these people in, in a better place, having even a greater impact going, going forward despite the challenges. And, and uh, I tell you like this particular industry or community, it's, it's a tough nut to crack. And just because so many of the obstacles are just so, so formidable that it was challenging. You know, it's uh, that's a tough look. Firefighters have it tough. Military, certainly not without its challenges. Um, I think August really highlighted or illuminated that the month of August in Afghanistan. Law enforcement, undoubtedly one of the most difficult jobs in, in our nation. But from my perspective, I, I think corrections has probably even more more challenges, particularly on a human. On a human level. But, you know, it was a tremendous opportunity to, uh, to collaborate and interact with these, these individuals that are in the thick of it every week over the course of several weeks in, this, in the spring. But uh, their hardships were certainly not, lo not lost on me. Jimmy, anything to offer on that, on that front? I know that you played a pretty integral role. I knew guys from my neighborhood who worked in Rikers in the 80s and 90s, and you saw them change right in front of you. And, and nothing could possibly inform you about what these guys and gals do every day. And it's, it's a job, and, a, and, and that population set that they serve that nobody cares about. Like, we just stuff people away. We don't really care what we do to them, or we don't really care, you know, what's happening to the people who, who serve them. That is an incredibly stressful job because stress never ends. You know, when we complete an evolution, we return to the firehouse. You know, these guys and gals are in it, you know, for the duration of their tour every second. And I cannot imagine, you know, that's a population set that deserves to be studied to gain an understanding of the, of the stresses that are, uh, that are being applied to them uh, every second of their tours. And they're a population set that certainly deserves better yeah i mean it was a tremendous opportunity and an honor and privilege for us to interact with these folks it would have obviously uh 
been probably more ideal if we've been able to do it in person, but just for a number of for, for a number of different reasons, you know, the next best option was for us to deliver a program on online. And uh, it, it certainly left me with even a, a greater appreciation. Several members of my of my family are uh, career corrections officers, and it uh, left me with even a greater appreciation for the, the type of work that these people uh, these people do. And I also think it offered some kind of like context around sometimes things that we see in the fire service as being kind of the scope and scale of the challenges that we that we navigate, kind of put things into put things into perspective. On a personal level, kind of outside the scope of of LUF, though I, I feel like I brought a lot of a lot of LUF with me because the the tasks were uh, were challenging at times. When I re-entered the Marine Corps, I, di I didn't really know what my role was going to be. And I got a phone call from a, a gentleman that I had served with in Iraq nearly 15, 16 years ago, asking me if I might be interested in serving as a operational historian. And, you know, despite the fact that I have 20 plus years in the Marine Corps, I wasn't really even aware of the fact that the Marine Corps had operational historians um, in uniform. I was certainly aware of academic type folks, but I wasn't aware of that individuals in uniform served in this capacity. And it's, it's a rather small detachment. And um, these individuals are tasked to go out and sit down with Marines and document oral history. And it's, uh, it's not an after action. It's, it's not a critique. It's not a command level investigation. It's just an opportunity for a Marine um, who participated in a particular operation to kind of just sit down and share what the experience looked like, what it felt like, and uh, how they think it will uh, be portrayed by, by history. You know, what they learned about themselves, what they learned about the Marine Corps, what they learned about humanity at large. So when I first joined the unit in, in the late spring, there really wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on. And uh, I kind of anticipated that I would be sitting down with Marines of bygone generations, asking them to share about their experiences in, in Vietnam or Korea, or maybe the early years in, in Iraq, or even, you know, an opportunity sometimes will arise where you could sit down with, there aren't too many left, but one of those Marines from the greatest generations from World War II. And in August, I was supposed to go to an army school for a few weeks in the Washington DC area. And uh, those plans didn't come to fruition because I ended up, I ended up getting a pretty good case of uh, COVID. So I didn't execute my orders, I didn't go to school. And I really didn't know how I was gonna um, meet my obligations to my unit for 2021. And, and lo and behold, then the, the final chapter in, in, in Afghanistan unfolds. And yeah, I remember like, I vividly remember August, August 13th. One is because it's the anniversary of Bill Kerr's death. And, and Bill was, was one of the plank owners of LUF, one of the greatest Marines I ever served with and was killed on August 13th, 2009 in Afghanistan. And uh, that, that day is very important to me every, every year. And, and those that love Bill, we, we reflect on his, his service and sacrifice that, that day. And here I am watching 
the, the chaos ensue in Kabul on almost the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, it was just a huge, huge punch in the, the gut. Unfortunately, things would get worse before they would get better. And now, yeah, I'm just sitting at home kind of watching all this play out on, on TV. What just so happens that my, my boss calls me a few days later, I'm actually working the firehouse and asked me if I may be able to make my way to Virginia to interview the Marines that evacuated the embassy. And of, of course, I, I jumped at the opportunity, spent several days with those Marines and was just taken back by the maturity and courage of these young men. You know, these, these, these 13 men who, you know, went, went days without, without sleep defending the embassy until it was, until it was closed in late August. And what's really interesting, and Jimmy, Jimmy touches on this theme frequently, few of any of these Marines were, were even alive on the morning of 9-11. But it was certainly not lost on them that the significance of our military act activities and operations in Afghanistan the, the past 20 years and where it all started. In fact, there was a Marine from the Southeastern United States who said that when he joined the Marine Corps, he longed to experience what it was like to be an American on September 12th, 2001. And he felt, though certainly not ideal how it played out strategically, he, he felt like that the, the experience there was consistent with that. And, uh, you know, for professional reasons, I, I, I won't get into, into details what I learned from these Marines, but it left me with, with a great sense of optimism about the future of our nation, particularly as it relates to kind of like the military and the, and the first responder community. I, I came away truly humbled. It was an honor and privilege to, to spend several days with these Marines doing kind of a deep dive into their personal experiences. More recently, I, I traveled out to California and had the opportunity to sit down and interview the Marines that were dispatched to evacuate tens of thousands of Afghans under some inordinately difficult circumstances. I don't necessarily know that we, we as a nation strategically set, set these young men and women up for success, but what I do know at the small unit tactical level, it didn't, it didn't matter. They, they gave this mission everything that they, they had and 13 young men and women truly gave everything they had. They, they lost their lives on the flight line at the airfield in Kabul at Hamid Karzai International Airport, evacuating innocent women, children, and families, and, and gave their lives in service, were killed by a, a suicide bomber. What, what I do know, with, without getting into the, into the details, is that I heard some of the most intense stories of the, of the 20 year war. And in many ways, the war ended as cruelly as it started. 
and you could walk away from it and say, and summarize a series of events with a narrative that suggests humanity or civilization as a lost cause. And there's a great deal of death and darkness and cruelty. Or you can walk away from it saying, despite all of that, there are a considerable number of people that are willing to do pretty much anything to bring comfort to those who are suffering. You know, that for me, I would a tr- what a tremendous honor, right? And, and privilege to have, to be able to go out and sit down with these young men and women, both on the East Coast and, and West Coast. And it's, in many ways, it, it was almost serendipitous, right? Because the Afghan war on a, on a personal level was, was uh, nothing shy of cruel to, to me. You know, I, I felt like I, I certainly didn't sacrifice my life, but I felt in, in many ways my, my career in the Marine Corps was uh, derailed. Almost at times like I was punished for caring too much about Afghanistan. And, you know, after so many years to have the opportunity to get back in uniform and do something as simple but as significant as to sit down with these young men and women and ensure that we had the opportunity to document their role in history and to truly humanize that narrative was a gift. Outside of my daughter, you know, welcoming another daughter, she was the greatest gift I was, I was given this year. And to be able to, I feel like, travel to these places and ambas- as an ambassador, not only on behalf of the Marine Corps, but the FDNY, New York, LUF, and to be able to, you know, share with these Marines the story of men like Bill Kerr, or the story of John Chapora, who was in the Beirut barracks in 1983, survived, responded to the first World Trade Center as a New York City fireman in 1993, and then tragically would lose his life on the morning in 9-11, uh, so that these young men and women understand where, you know, they're part of a long lineage of American patriotism. You know, what a, what a tremendous honor it was to go forward and, and, um, and to serve, like I said, in such a simple but, but significant capacity. Thanks for sharing that, Jason. And I mentioned this to you when you told me about that assignment with the Marines. On the one hand, I was in disbelief that that was the opportunity that they were giving you. And on the other hand, it was just the right path. Everything lined up to be able to do that work which is tremendous. Yeah, and you know, certainly my, my combat experience probably carries some, some currency in the Marine Corps, some credibility. What was unique is sitting down with these young men and women and you know, to some extent also senior, senior commanders as well. Um, I kind of had to really, on many instances, kind of tap into my inner fader because you're, you're hearing things that are incredibly intense. You know, you're, you're largely there to, to listen and there's so many individuals, you know, whether it be Zinzer or Fader or so many people on the team that have shaped, I think, who we are and how we think about human performance and how we think about leadership and how we think about human behavior in, in high risk settings under extreme duress. I, I certainly feel like my, my LUF edu- education was helpful. So 
I mentioned earlier that my greatest opportunity was also my greatest challenge. And I know people listening in realize that one of these things is not like the other. I'm a young female civilian, so I don't have the exact same stories or experiences that you two have and share. But I did go through something this year that I think listeners to this podcast could identify with, which is that I started working at the FDNY in 2014. That's when we all met. I, prior to that, was a reporter in New York City, and I am born and raised in New York City. So working at the fire department was really um, just a huge honor, and I really enjoyed the work. So in 2019, I threw my hat in the ring for a big promotion within the department. And all signs were pointing to that I was going to get this new prominent role. Q spring 2020 and the coronavirus outbreak hit New York. And all of a sudden, I found myself working in my studio apartment in Brooklyn by myself, day in and day out, working on messaging, internal and external messaging for the FDNY, which was a tremendous effort. And it really wasn't until like May of 2020 that I started to have enough time and honestly, like enough courage to go out and about. So I would, you know, go running over the Brooklyn Bridge or run up to the Barclays Center and down to Grand Army Plaza and around Prospect Park. But shortly after that, we experienced a lot of civil unrest, specifically in my neighborhood. There were a couple nights where, you know, I actually am considering, okay, if people break into my building, how am I going to escape and maybe run to FDNY headquarters for coverage? And at that point, I decided to go back to Staten Island and be with my family. And my mom, who is in her early 60s and healthy, was working two jobs to maintain her life in New York. And when one of them was no longer available because things had shut down and she was forced into remote work at that stage of her life, she was not happy to say the least. So the only opportunity there was to sell her house on Staten Island I moved to a place that she could afford a better quality of life, and that was just south of Tampa, Florida. So fast forward to August of 2020, and um, Mayor de Blasio is threatening to cut 22,000 city jobs. And I got a call from truly the office of the fire commissioner, and I was told that I was in a vulnerable position. So I just went from being a candidate for this new promotion within the department and being told that I played a significant role, but that I was dispensable, right? That I was just a number on a piece of paper. And when it comes to cutting jobs, that mine could be one that is cut. And fortunately, I got that call the day that I did the interview with Tara Stackpole and her kids in their home. So I had a really resilient perspective about it all, but it doesn't change the fact that I had almost like a bad taste in my mouth for the remainder of the year, that at any moment I could be let go, that my merit and my work ethic don't carry as much weight as I think they do. And um, that was a hard pill to swallow. So at the beginning of 2021, I 
apply to a job at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, which is the only NCI designated cancer center in Florida. So I'm really fortunate that I was hired and able to accept a, a position doing work with another organization on a life-saving mission, but it was tremendously hard to leave the place that I know so well and the people that, you know, my friends, my family that I all love and come down to Florida and start a whole new life. But I don't regret the decision. It was very hard to watch things unfold this year outside of the organization and outside of the city. I carried a lot, a lot of guilt about that, but I'm not gonna apologize for being happy because I think that in the end, I'm putting into practice all the LUF lessons I've learned. And um, I'm just really grateful that I get to still live in both worlds, you know, that I continue to do leadership under firework, special projects with the FDNY, still have my connections on Staten Island, and um, I'm doing this from sunny Florida. So when you That's look at the big, big picture though, I was actually telling somebody recently, like in the past several years, I got divorced. I survived a global pandemic and I moved to paradise. So it's not so bad. <laughs> and maintained your affiliation with LUF. Most important thing. And the FDNY. <laughs> yeah. That's a great story of resilience, right, of taking the leap of faith. Look, you shouldn't belittle what, what you did and, and compare it to, to like our lives. You did all of those things and took the leap of faith, right? It, it, that, that takes a lot internally to do that, right? And to bounce back from, which makes you stronger in the long run, and right? And if we believe in the model that good things happen to good people, you ended up in paradise where it's sunny in 76 and we're sitting in cloudy in 35. So you won and well done. But I, I have talked to so Aided. many, yeah. I've, I've talked to so many members of the department and other city agencies who are expressing the same sort of hardships when it comes to making that decision. Do I leave? And if I do, what's my life gonna look like? And I just wanted to share my perspective because I think it's okay. It's okay to let go and try something new. It's essential. It's essential. And it ties into a larger question, right? Of governance that doesn't work. When your most talented people are thinking of leaving these organizations and not contributing, those are entities and areas that, that, that are doomed to fail, right? You see this, you used to see it on a smaller level, just like the fire department and the police department, but now you're seeing it in a much larger area in this city. You can't allow talent to leave, right? Any organization worth their soul works to find talent, to nurture it, to develop, and to reward it and unleash it, right? We'll think a little bit about maneuver here. Um, this, is a, this is telling, right? right? And, and what we've seen in the last couple of years with, with this mayor and then with this vaccine, the way we treat people, right? That doesn't bode well for the long-term future of this city. And I'm someone who lived here and I was in grade school in the seventies, right? And I, I saw the city when it collapsed. And, you know, if you don't take care of the people who do the hard work, you're doomed to repeat that cycle. So 
organizations and individuals keep talking about returning to this new normal or returning to normalcy, I should say. And it doesn't seem like we've forged a clear path to normal yet. So what are the most significant changes you've encountered or adopted this year? I actually think we're here. I think we've arrived at normal. You know, perhaps in the future, we will declare an end to this pandemic. I'm not so sure. You know, in the early years of, of the post 9-11 wars, there was, a, there was a, a belief that we would at some point declare an end to those wars. We declared an end this year. Uh, I don't really know if that's what, that's what the ending that folks had, had in mind looked like. But regardless, I think in many ways as a society found a set, a steady state that going forward, life is just going to be lived in hybrid fashion. Sometimes we'll get together. Sometimes with things we'll, we'll, we'll do things virtually. I, I think as a society, we're just going to live with much less certainty than we did previously. Like I know Jimmy played basketball at a very high level. I certainly didn't, but I, I love college basketball. And uh, with all of the precautions they put in place this year, Nothing is going according to plan. It's very early in the season. So many games this week have been canceled. There may be March Madness in, in, in March into April. There, there might not be. And I don't think anyone can say right now with certainty, whether it be Coach K, who's in his final season at Duke, or those in the front office of the NCAA, whether or not they're going to play basketball in March or April. They might, they might not. And I just think that's one, one example. I think in, in many ways as uncomfortable as we still are around the, the illness, a lot of the changes we've made behaviorally are actually to some extent have enhanced our, our lives. Every New York City firefighter and fire officer that I know spends more time with their kids than they did pre-pandemic. Every single one. And every single father that I know says, you know what? I wouldn't trade the amount of time that I have with my kids for all the social functions that we used to have <laughs> It, it, you know, like it's still really important to get together, but I think some of that has been scaled back. You know, as it relates to the team, we were very much averse. Well, probably me. I, I, I take the blame on, the, on this front to doing things digitally or virtually pre-pandemic. Fortunately, we had the foresight to launch the podcast. And that certainly was, was uh, because of Patty, because of your skill set and your talent. But, you know, pre-pandemic, the in my mind, the only way to actually deliver an LUF course or program was to do so in person. And anything shy of that was, was inadequate. And I will tell you that the online human performance course, the online leadership development course, the online book club, all of it, the, the periodic tactical seminars, people love them, right? Because they don't, have to, they don't have to drive several hours. They have to get on a plane. They can come home from work crack open a beer, sit down in front of a, a, a laptop, collaborate with people from across the country, spend two hours thinking about the vocation that they love, close the laptop and put their kid to bed. <laughs> like what's, what's better than that? And, and, and generally speaking, the whole work-life balance thing, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. And it's like this, this magical cl cliche. Um, I think in many ways, like this, this hybrid life that, that many of us are living now, both personally and professionally, in, in many ways, is kind of enhancing our, our uh, quality of life, particularly as it, as it relates to spending time with our, with our loved ones. 
it's it's certainly imperfect. There's a great deal of of uncertainty. You know, no one really knows until you're actually at an event whether that event is 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 happening. You know, there's a level of fluidity that we're I don't think we're accustomed to quite yet as a society, but I, I think we're kind of living in the new in the new normal. And I think many of us are are finding that it's 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 actually okay. Jim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Jason uh, hit it on the head. People are we can we say it are being a little more resilient they're being more adaptive right they're making changes mm -hmm. right again poor folks you know they're always the first to get hit and hit the hardest but for folks who are still working they're making adjustments and life is going on right you're making adjustments that's a good sign you know whether it's you know moving to florida but for as many people that move to florida to texas as many are moving back here so that you know, life will will hit that will hit that balance point. But again, something that I I'll talk a little bit about uh, banana, right? Where humans are far more adaptive and resilient than than we than we ever think possible. And you're kind of seeing it here. I mean, first of all, it's an incredible achievement to have like multiple vaccines in such a short period of time. And I don't know why we don't talk about this. I can't speak about the efficacy in any any negative impacts, but to actually produce them so shortly is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, and, and so we're, we're learning. It's hit us in New York the hardest because we're all close together. We, we take a subway we, in the winter, we're in, indoors with the windows shut, uh, but you know, we're, we're finding a way to get through. Um, and, and, and that's a pretty, pretty good thing and a pretty good sign, right? Because when it hits us first, it'll hit you later. And the things that we're learning now, right? We're the bellwether, others can take, can take notes. So, so we'll get through this. And, you know, this, as they say, as the old termist would say in the fire department, you know, this too shall pass, so we'll be all right. Yeah, Patty, pre-pandemic, when, when you picked up and moved to Florida, you know, whether it be LUF or the FDNY, we would have, we would have largely lost you. You know, but I, I think in many ways that we've adapted and have evolved and have, have embraced technology that was largely already in place mm -hmm. that facilitates these type of arrangements digitally. Like we, we didn't lose you. You know, you, you have the, the good fortune of being able to, uh, to live poolside in Florida and still help run the LUF podcast while the rest of us are stuck in Queens and the Bronx and Brooklyn. So uh, I think oh. you're, you're, you're winning. Yeah, you know, big time. <laughs> well, to build off of what both of you said, I wrote my answer to that question was the biggest change that I adopted was change itself. I made peace with it. Change is just part of everything that we talk about on this podcast, right? We're, we're building in agility, flexibility on the individual level, and we bring it to our teams and our organizations. And that to me is my normal. I like it. Concise. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so as we begin to wind down, of course, I need to ask each of you, what was your favorite book that you read this year? Jim, do you want to go first? You seem like chomping at the bit. <laughs> uh, I'll go with George Bonanno, The End of Trauma. Working off his first book, uh, The Other Side of Sadness. Right? A lot of these themes that we're talking about now, he has spent his life 
thinking about and studying people, resilience and people who are significantly impacted. And a lot of the things that we just talked about, right? These folks are understanding this. We talk about this all the time. And this is something that Jason brought to us. Like the word resilient really didn't resonate or wasn't really used in the fire department until he shows up, right? But, but we just figured, well, we can get through things. Well, we're, we're getting through things now. And, and Bonanno's book is a more in-depth because it's an illustration that the things that you'd know at one point in life are probably gonna change, right? With advances in technology that give you a better understanding of the human being, increasing data sets that paint a better picture. And also the understanding that what you know now, it's probably gonna change in the future. And, and his work is really, it's a must read for anybody um, who has questions about this area. And it's a, it's a great read too from a guy who's really great. If you ever had the chance to, to spend time with him, and we, Jason and I were in his office, I mean, it's fantastic. From a guy who's great perspective on life, you know, how, it's how you see it, how you view it, you can do it, right? You did it, right? We've managed to overcome some significant things, right? Banano put it to words and um, it's essential reading for anyone in our communities. Excellent. Jason, what was your favorite book? Uh, I didn't really do a whole lot of reading in 2000. I had a feeling. Yeah. No, I did. I did, but I did. I did, but I didn't. Um, yeah, a little, a little context. So the FDNY captain's test generally goes off every four or five years. The pandemic threw a wrench in, in, in it. It was scheduled. It was postponed. It was scheduled. It was postponed. It was scheduled. It was postponed. Some of my cohorts were uh, super diligent and consistent. Uh, I was not one of them. I was, it was an on again, off again relationship of sorts between me and the FDNY books. But once, once it became apparent that Tesla was going to happen, then I was, I was all in a little later than I probably should have been, but I was, I was all in. So for the past several months, all I have done is read the FDNY bulletins. Didn't really have much in the, in in terms of bandwidth to read anything anything else, and I actually prided myself. I went sixty days without listening to a podcast or reading a book, or even probably as much of an article. It just took that level of discipline, particularly since I was a little late to the a little late to the party. So I I uh, I'm very thankful, like everyone. I'm very thankful that the test is over. I can. Uh, reacquaint myself with with a whole stack of books at at, at home and many of uh, the books that I intend to read um, are influenced by by my buddy Jimmy's uh, list of recommended reads so I fully intend to <laughs> embrace reading in 2022 I actually on my flight out here to the Midwest I'm reading a book about uh, has nothing to do with firefighting and actually nothing really to do with with leadership. Uh, maybe in a formal sense and human performance just lightly. And it's about commercial freight or merit, the commercial maritime industry and these giant container ships that go to sea, go to sea and are, are commonly or periodically attacked by pirates and, you know, the commercial freight or maritime industry. So, I'm, but there's a whole host of books. Sapolsky's on the list, Jimmy. Right. There's a bunch of books that I fully intend to, to visit in 2022 and to get back into the OHP MPI mindset. <laughs> Very good. 
I love that answer. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you were so honest because sometimes I feel like you, if you pretend that you're bullying through these things, it does everybody else a disservice. So meet everybody where they're at. You'll pick up the books again in 2022. This is a judgment-free zone. <laughs> I actually have two books that I wanted to acknowledge. Neither of them are on New York Times bestseller lists. And that's what I wanted to remind people of that you can find some really great valuable things that are not, you know, on some prominent list somewhere. And the first one is the book, What Brothers Do by Michael Brown. Surprisingly, I hadn't read it prior to this year, but when we were working on the remembering episode for Captain Patrick Brown, I picked it up and I read his account of 9-11 and finding out the story of, you know, his brother and his relationships. And it was a very beautiful read. So if anybody is listening to this podcast and they haven't read What Brothers Do Yet, I recommend putting it on your list. And then the second one that I read is called Across the Red Line, Stories from the Surgical Life. And it's a series of 14 essays written by a surgeon who worked at Moffitt Cancer Center. So in the spring, I was interviewing the head of the sarcoma department via Zoom. And right behind him was this enormous portrait of a man. And there's no way you have a portrait that size in your office and you don't have a story about that person. So of course I asked, who is that? And he explained, that's my mentor, Dr. Richard Carl. And he started explaining all of his accomplishments, which included authoring a book. So I went online, I, I ordered the book and I swear it's like print on demand because it took like three weeks to get to me. I don't know that many people have read this book or even know it exists, but it introduced me to a whole new world that I am you know, now in, in healthcare and cancer research. And I really um, enjoyed it. So reminding people that you can find value in the books that aren't on the bestseller list and they hold a lot of value. Excellent. I wanted to know, Jason, with all your free time, is there a movie that you watched that you would recommend? Willy Wonka. <laughs> I think Willy Wonka is the only movie that I've watched in several months and it's my, uh, my three-year-old's favorite. So I, if there's a movie on in my house, chances are it's, it's Willy Wonka. Classic. There's probably a lot of symbolism or something in there. <laughs> Jim, what about you? I don't watch television. I was going to get Netflix just so I could watch something and put it here, but I'll go to my all time default, which is All the President's Men. Greatest movie ever. Hmm. And also the, the story behind it, right? The story that, that should remind us. Um, and that was a great that was a great piece of work and, and a great movie. But I have nothing recent because because of the guy on the right hand screen there. Jimmy, uh, well, between the tradition in the factory, the fire factory in Holland that says no TV in the kitchen, right? And then coupled with the fact that Jimmy is, I think he's the the last Mattis on the team in the sense that he does not have a, a television. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I unfortunately had to leave that club a couple of years ago when I welcomed kids into the world. But um, 
I, I have uh, a lot of respect that, you know, for, for Jimmy, for still being in that, uh, in the, the, the maddest club, no TV. Well, I was going to say in between working on my tan, I watched two things that all <laughs> contribute to this. Uh, both are on Netflix. One is called The River Runner and the other one is The Alpinist, sport-related documentary. Okay. Yeah, Netflix has some great stuff. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, hopefully you two can answer this question. Which was your favorite podcast episode this year? This was really hard because this was a really good year with a lot of really interesting products. You know, when you have Danny and, 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 and Dennis Gordon in one, that's, you know, that's unbelievable. Captain Louie and Chief D, the Patty Brown one. For most of the year, I, I thought that Joe Flood was going to be the selection, but Dave Sears, I've been fortunate enough, we all have, you know, to, to come in contact and to meet these kinds of folks through Jason, right? And it's incredible the, the people who, who defend this nation at its highest levels, the, the intelligence. His conversation to me was so great because he, he spoke a lot about, a lot more about human factors than I thought he was gonna be able to. Um, and I, it, it make it lost in it because he really, he took, he took off. But also when we talked about like the 90-10 breakdown, that in their world, 90% of your time is spent training and 10% operational. But if you're in firefighting and law enforcement, paramedics, you're like 95, 96, 97 plus percent operational to training. You know, and, and you, th you think of the things that have happened in the post 9-11 world, right? We talk about our span scope and complexity of responsibility, the fact that we've become the all encompassing agency of last resort, but yet the amount of time available to train continues to shrink. And especially as run totals explode, how is it you know, that nobody sees this? And, and Dave talks about the point, you, you have to stress this, that it has to change. And it really does, like, why don't we talk about this? How much time does a unit train in, in any fire service in this country, especially those at high volume. And, and that, that needs to be talked about and changed because we ask these fine young men and women to do so much with so little training. And, and as time moves on, they're only going to be thrust with more and more responsibilities. You know, in order to be able to handle these things, they need an appropriate increase in training time. And training, not just, you know, talk about the, the three phases of training, if you will, not just familiarization, but the repetitions that bring it to the point of automaticity and then training with stress, right? That, that was a great point to drive home. And his conversation was great because, you know, those guys are in a world, I mean, I, I never knew that such a world existed, you know, of people who was just so intelligent, so driven. And, uh, you know, we, we rest easy at night you know, and, and Jason's one of these guys, right? We rest easy at night knowing that these men and women are out there keeping us safe. And to me, Dave Sears was the podcast of the year because he brings so much to the table. You can come back to that in the same way that we come back to Coleman, in the same way that we come back to Commander uh, Brad. Their words you know, span the test of time and we'll come back to them over and over again and they will always be relevant and always useful to us uh, as we move forward. Yeah, that was a great episode. 
And I know every year my New Year's resolution is to work smarter, not harder. So I will be listening to that episode again and again. <laughs> Jason, what about you? Yeah. Um... And actually not to cut you off, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that you hosted episodes this year, which is something I never thought was going to happen when we started this podcast, but to see you step into a host role and you did such a great job with it too, that I'm, I'm so grateful that you're comfortable with it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm comfortable. Maybe I'm getting there. I, my, I think my first interview was with Josh, mm -hmm. pretty intense conversation. Gabe, pretty, pretty interesting. And at times intense conversation, certainly an honor to interview these, these sorts of guys, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I think my whoop score would probably suggest I, I wasn't entirely comfortable. I remember going home after both occasions as just being absolutely exhausted. But you carried um, that remembering episode. Well, yeah, I'll come back to that in a second. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jimmy's talking about, you know, he's paying great, great credit to those individuals who are our nation's special operators. We had somewhat of a, a banner year this year within the team. One member of our team graduated from BUDS. Pretty, pretty epic accomplishment. Um, another member of our team who was a leader within the Naval Special Warfare community received one of the highest Navy's highest awards this year for leadership. And that's the Admiral Stockdale Award. Uh, and then recently, one member of our team at the not so young age of 36 or 37 took a leave of absence from the FDNY, and he's pursuing a, a path to becoming a special operator in the Air Force. So a banner year for those on the team who are truly quiet professionals and, uh, you know, seek to, to serve in the military special operations community. With regards to the podcast, yeah, I had the opportunity early in the year to interview Josh, interview Gabe, and I'm not sure why, maybe, maybe logistically, I guess it just seemed, it just made sense for me to sit down and talk to some of Pat Brown's closest friends. I think given that this year was the 20 year anniversary of 9-11 and that Pat Brown truly is one of the probably the most iconic leaders to lose his life on the morning of 9-11, we thought it'd be fitting. I knew that it was going to be in, intense. I didn't know Pat Brown personally. Uh, but I've spent enough time with his, some of his closest friends over the years that I felt like I had a pretty good sense of who he was and a uh, pretty colorful, colorful guy and a really interesting in individual that had a tremendous heart for, for service and, and not just on the fire floor. And what, a, what an honor it was to sit down and to be able to have the types of conversations that I had with guys like Bobby Burke and Tim Brown, and Mickey, and Michael Daly, and those guys who truly were Pat's closest, closest friends. And it, it just so happened, I talked earlier about the, the end of the war. And it just so happened that it coincided with the, the cruel end to the Afghan war. And a big part of Pat's story was his, his service in combat in Vietnam, and then coming home, and really feeling betrayed by kind of our nation's leadership politically and, and, and militarily. But then being able to, to channel all of that energy and, and angst and anxiety for the greater good, right? Like that, that's just, it's such a remarkable story. 
and it just so happened. It just it coincided with a time where I was trying to make sense of the of the war, like so many of us were trying to make sense of the war, the wars ending in Afghanistan, while also, you know, interacting with these Marines that were coming home from this really intense and and somewhat cruel experience. And what a, what a gift it, it was. I was just, you know, honored to play, you know, a, a small role in, in, in putting that together. I'm very thankful that I had your, your expertise, Patty, I rely on, you know, it, it was a tr- you know, huge honor. I'm just so happy to see how the podcast has evolved over the years. The virtual fireside chats and the senior man episodes are some of the most downloaded. Your interview with Gabe, Jason, is the most downloaded podcast episode. So hearing you speak with your peers is truly something that is needed. And um, even Tim Clark, another LUF team member, hosted an episode. And at first... You know, we're resistant to change. I had a little bit of a hard time (laughs) letting go and saying, okay, you guys host the episodes, but it's been a great experience to watch you all evolve and grow and spread these messages, help get information to people and just create historical records for for everyone. So I love the whole podcast. (laughs) Lastly, what are you most excited about or looking forward to in 2022? A new year is always a chance for a new beginning. I think just to continue on, hopefully to to stay healthy, hopefully to spend more time in the country, which uh, I love more and more. I'd like to start rowing. You know, I'd I'd really like to try and do that. So, you know, just a continuation. You know, life is pretty darn good. And, um, you know, I I think I'm on the glide slope towards the end of this thing, of at least my fire department career. And so just to continue to, you know, to carry on, things are going pretty well. And uh, yeah, knock wood. Well, I'm a pretty lucky guy. Great. Jason? Yeah, there's several things I'm, I'm really excited about and looking forward to in the coming year in 2022. We learned recently that the Cherry Hill, New Jersey Fire Department outside of Philadelphia, pretty progressive squared away department with some really ambitious folks that they want to embark on the optimizing human performance MPI path. If the FDMI was the first department in the country to embrace it formally, Milwaukee second, they will be the third fire department in the country to, to embark on this path in a somewhat of a formal organizational capacity. So we're really excited about that. You know, now the test is behind me and I know that Dan feels the same way. You get, you get some bandwidth back. I think, Ideally, we have one or two big ideas in us this year for for LUF. We will see more to follow probably here soon. But I think we're we're on the precipice of being able to launch this this film this tactical film room, and to kind of bring the tactical film construct or concept to the American Fire Service in a, a fashion that's kind of consistent to how it's used in the military and sport. So we're 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 pretty excited about that, and uh, I'm really excited. We're going to be launching the LUF inaugural book club mid-January, 15 participants, but they'll meet weekly. They're going to tackle two books over the course of several weeks. We thought it only appropriate and fitting that the first inaugural book club would be headed up by the Grand Ayatollah himself, Jim Roussel. When it's the Grand Ayatollah, there's nothing more to say.
feel like since the start of this pandemic, especially, we've been consistently saying, if this, then. If we have a vaccine, then things will be okay. If this, then. <laughs> and my- Very conditional. <laughs> my goal for 2022 is to just live more intentionally and not be so caught up in that future focused way of being all the time. So on that note, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate you both joining me virtually and as always, appreciate your candor and for being so generous with your knowledge and your experience. Thanks, Patty. Thank you, Patty. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit Leadership